Today, I want to continue our help series by helping with anyone and everyone who has had this thought. Help, my life is on pause. I'm sure all of us, to one degree or another, have had this thought. Life feels like it is on pause. And there is a, a tinge of irony as we think about Bostonians and, and us living here in the city of ambition. Bostonians are some of the hottest working people in America. You and I both know that. People come to Boston, to these greatest schools in America, not to be mediocre in their field, but to dominate. And so it's not surprising that Bostonians have a difficult time slowing down. And I know for so many in this season, it feels like their lives have hit slow motion. Perhaps for some of you, it feels like your life or at least areas of your life have hit pause. That's why I want to encourage you from God's word today that we can fight through this challenging season by living life from a God-centered perspective. That's what I want to call you today. I want to call you to see your life as God sees your life. And we see this from the book of James, starting in chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. Let me read these words for us. You can follow along as I read them for us. James says this, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will do live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. I want to show you three truths from this text that can help us live life from a God-centered perspective. You may want to write these down wherever you are, wherever you're watching from today. Number one, I want you to see that our plans are in God's hands. Our plans are in God's hands. What you need to understand about the first century is that it was a time marked by growing commercial activity. The Pax Romana had opened up travel like the world had never seen. And so for so many people, business was booming and booming to the point where they began to make these presumptuous and arrogant plans. That's why James grabs their attention in verse 13. He says, listen up. That's really what he's saying when he says, come now, you who say. 
He's saying, listen up, you who are talking about, hey, today or tomorrow, we're going to go into such and such a town and we're going to spend the year there and then we're going to trade and then we're going to make a profit. You can see here in this repeated statements of, of, of just a presumption that, that all of these things were going to happen, that they were living in a self-dependent manner. And James does not give them a pass on their presumption because he understands, though they had their eye on economic activity and monetary gain, James understood the economics of the kingdom of God. He knew, as it says in in verse 6 earlier in the chapter, that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so we can see here that, that, that all planning that removes God is foolish, but when you have a sense of arrogance in your heart, that, that no matter what, what, what is going to happen uh, in your life and in your plans, apart from the, the sovereign will of God, meaning God is in control of everything in our world, in our universe, James goes on to call it in verse 16, he says that we are boasting in our arrogance and all such boasting is evil. And so James wants to correct these believers and followers of Christ. He he, he wants to help them with wisdom to live life from a God-centered perspective. And how does he do it? Well, first he emphasizes the uncertainty of tomorrow. We see this in verse 14. He says, yet... You who are saying, hey, all of this is going to happen just according to my plans, and we'll be in and out in a year. We'll make all this money, and we'll be out of there. Listen, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. And you and I know, perhaps in ways like we never have before, that tomorrow carries so much uncertainty. There's really nothing we can know in our lives with absolute certainty. And that's what James is saying. He said, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And we feel this. We don't know how long physical distancing will go on. We don't know when the Red Sox will show back up at Fenway Park. We don't know when kids will return to school. We don't know when our travel plans will be solid. We don't know when we can make these major life event plans with a sense of security. And I want to tell you something. On behalf of our pastors and behalf of the people known as Redemption Hill, we feel for you and we feel for one another. This is hard. It feels like, I don't know about you, but but it feels like there's been a huge question mark put over every box in the calendar. I think about the singles in our church who feel a heavier weight of the realities of physical distancing. I think about those who have been placed on furlough in their workplace or perhaps even laid off. I think about married couples who have had their wedding plans significantly impacted in this time. I think about some of our Friends who used to be a part of Redemption Hill who have lost loved ones and now they can't even experience a funeral in a normal way. 
These are very difficult times. And God is showing us and maybe teaching us in a much, much deeper way that we do not control tomorrow. I hope that's one of the lessons that you're learning in this season. God wants us to see that, that not only do we not control tomorrow, but, but in reality, that the ultimate control has always been in his hands. This is what James is seeking to help us understand. But I want you to listen carefully. James is not saying that planning is bad. It implies in verse 15 when he says, instead you ought to say, what James is saying is, hey, it's good to make plans. God is a God with a plan. And we should be immensely thankful for that. Our redemption, that the history of our world, it rides on the fact that God has a vision and God has a plan to accomplish our redemption. And we celebrated that last week with the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So planning is not bad, but planning is bad when we take God out of the equation. So James says, listen, what we have to do is plan with a posture of surrender before God. This is what he gets at in verse 15. He says, instead you ought to say, this is how you ought to plan. If the Lord wills. If the Lord wills. With these four words, James provides the solution to how we should think about the future, how we should make plans today and tomorrow. We should calibrate our desires and how we're planning in the future by always saying, if God wills. This is what it means to live a God-centered life. This one phrase, these four words, undercuts the self-reliant, independent, presumptuous spirit of verse 13. The fundamental problem of those rebuked in this text, and perhaps it's something that you and I need to hear today as we're frustrated about not having control over today and tomorrow, is for, for us to hear that, that to remove God out of the equation is to enter into a functional or a practical atheism that separates the, the life of, of God and living for Christ from our business and our work lives. But what God wants us to see is that there are no God-free zones in our lives. Our relationships, our work, our, our uh, plans that we're making, there are no God-free zones. And just don't miss what, the, what James says in verse 15. The, the subtlety of the order is so important. He says, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So you can see just a, an ultimate greater to lesser argument. James says, look, if the Lord wills, we will live. The fact that you have breath in your lungs right now is because of the grace of God and the sovereignty of God. God knows all of our days. He has all of our days numbered. So it's not just our, our life, but then if, if that's true, then we should logically conclude that 
the details of our lives, doing this or that, that also falls under his sovereign control. And so number one, living life from a God-centered perspective means that we understand our plans are in God's hands. But then number two, we also see in verse 14 that our days are in God's hands. Look at verse 14 again. James says this, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. And then he asks this sobering question. He says, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. James, like his half-brother Jesus, knew how to ask a poignant question. He knew how to ask a question in such a way that would cause people to pause and consider what was at the heart of the matter. And this question then sets up a a, a thought-provoking answer that's going to help them then see life from God's perspective. The sobering question he asks them is, what is your life? I want to ask you that today. I want you to answer that question. What is my life? James is is getting at this idea that that our life is is more than uh, what, what we spend our time in. He's asking what defines us. Sometimes we find the definition of our lives and our accomplishments or our relationships or our hopes and dreams. Sometimes we define our life by how much money we make or how long we live. But James has something deeper that he wants us to see. As we consider the meaning of our lives, why we're here, the the purpose of our lives, then he gives a sobering answer to that question. He says, for you are a mist. The Greek actually says this. It's so strong. He says, it says, you are a mist, which being seen for a little while, even then is disappearing. That's, that's strong. He's saying, you you." Live your life just for a short time, and then you're gone. But, but it's even deeper than that. It's even stronger than that. It's like, even while you're here, even while you're here, you're in the process of disappearing. In other words, time is moving very, very fast. This is a theme throughout the scripture. Psalm 39, verse 5 says, Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Think about what this psalm is saying. He's saying our life, you know what a handbreadth, this is, this is a handbreadth. He's saying your life is just a few handbreadths. That's your life. He says your life is a breath. That's it. What he's saying is in the scheme of history and in the scheme of eternity, our lives are very, 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 very short. 
And there are two massive and sobering implications that we should consider from this, this truth. Number one, life is really, really short, so we should consider eternity. So many people get caught up in living for this life only when God in the beginning and even right now, he created us to live forever. Ecclesiastes 7 says that God has put eternity in our hearts. That's why last weekend was so important as we looked at the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That, that we can move from spiritual death to spiritual life and have our eternal destination secure through Christ. If your life is a mist that is passing very, very quickly, whether you have another month to live, another year to live, or five decades, it won't be long until you're at the end. Are you ready for eternity? Are you ready to meet God? We should Consider eternity in light of the brevity of life. But then number two, life is really, really short, so we should maximize our time. Listen, I know in this season, it's so tempting to just kind of hit this kind of coast mode, you know, just kind of coasting through this quarantine, stay-at-home season. But God is calling us to something greater and higher, He's calling us to live, in the words of Ephesians 5, to, to make the best use of our time, living in his wisdom. And so, listen, I get it. I'm just like you. I, I can tell you, I spent too much time scrolling on my phone, on social media, and I know the temptation these days is to sleep in and maybe binge watch Netflix and, you know, play five hours of video games. And, and listen, it's not, it's not bad to have some leisurely activities and recreation. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that God is calling us to make the best use of our time where every moment matters. Our life is short. We need to understand that our days are in God's hands. And let me just encourage you with this thought. Could it be that in this season, that God has a divine purpose in this, this time, that he is inviting us and even forcing us to slow down so that, as we talked about last week, we would turn our attention to him and seek him in a greater way. Do you believe that how you seek God in these days and weeks cannot just change the next couple of months in your life? It can change the rest of 2020 for you. Do you believe that, that however long we're in this season, that the way you seek after God, knowing who he is, spending time in prayer, spending time with other family who follow Jesus Christ, that, that God can use this to shape the next decade of your life? Maybe some of you who have, have been considering what it means to follow Jesus, maybe it's in this season that your eternity will be forever changed because you turned your life over to God and what he has for you. Our plans are in God's hands. Our days are in God's hands. But then number three, our actions are for God's glory. Look again at verse 17. James 
sums up what he said. And at first, this verse seems disconnected from what he's already said, but you'll see a tie here when he says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Listen, we, we can't presume to know the will of God for the future, but we can know what God wants for us today. He's told us right here in the words of Scripture what he wants for our life, what he has desired for us. And so James puts it like this. He says, if you, if you know the right thing to do and you fail to do it, that's actually sinful. And so we need to think about this from two angles. So many times we reduce Christianity or living for God to what scholars call sins of commission. That's doing things we should not do. But it's equally egregious to fail to do things that we know we should do. That's what James is, is focused on here. He's saying, look, it's not enough to put away sinful anger. Yes, we should stop being sinfully angry at the people around us. But he's saying it's not enough to stop being sinfully angry. You need to put on some kindness in your life. He's saying it's not enough to put away greed in your life, but he's saying, hey, it's time to be generous to others. I want to encourage you. I know stimulus checks have rolled out this week for so many people across America, and I know the temptation is going to be to, to, to allocate that money for all of the things that you either need or want. But here's a challenge for you. What if you just stopped and prayed? before you start thinking about where that money's going to go, and you just ask God, God, what do you want me to do with this money? I think what's going to happen is this. We think first about spending on ourselves and then maybe saving a little bit that we need and then maybe just maybe giving a little bit to someone else. But the, the, the principles and the values of God's kingdom says to flip that on its head, to, to, to see the inverse happen, to give to, for the benefit of others, to save what we need, and then to spend what we need on ourselves. And I'm not saying that the amounts are going to look like that. I'm just talking about the inclination of our hearts. Just pray and ask God, how can you help? You heard from Pastor Reddy today that, that we are seeking to, to build up our benevolence fund to help those in need, to help those who have lost their job, to help those who need some food on their tables. Let's be a generous church like we always have been to meet needs in our church family and hopefully even needs beyond our church family. There are so many opportunities to spend our lives doing good for the name and fame of God. That's why I love the quote by John Wesley when he said, do all the good you can by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. This is what I love about Christianity. So many times people think, and perhaps you're watching today, and you've rejected Christ and Christianity because you think that Christianity is a dry religion. Maybe this was your experience growing up, and, and you feel like it's just a set of restrictions. But when Jesus says, follow me, he invites us into a path of joy. 
He invites us into a life full of good works. And so we, we, we hear James calling us to, to let our actions glorify God in this time and for all times. I want to encourage you today. If you feel like your life has been put on pause, when you view your life and you view all of life from a God-centered perspective, you begin to see, hey, God is in control. And he has a plan. Even when things seem to be all out of whack, he is working in such a way to accomplish his good purposes in me and his good purposes through me that he might make a difference in the lives of people around me. And so I don't know your story today, but I know what is true for me is true for you. Your life is a mist. Our lives are very, very short. Perhaps today, and maybe this is something that even God has been speaking to you about over the last week with Easter, or maybe weeks or months, and, and you know that you're going to spend eternity either with God forever or separated from him. Listen, if you are ready to commit your life to follow Jesus, recognizing that your sin, as we talked about last week, that your sin has separated you from God spiritually, but that God loved you so much that he sent Jesus to die in your place and offer you the free gift of eternal life. We want to help you take that step of choosing to follow Jesus with your life. And so there's going to be a number on the screen that you can text the word Jesus to that number, and our team will follow up with you. If you're watching on our church online platform, you can raise your hand in the chat box and then immediately click the live prayer request button. And our team is ready to help you and celebrate every spiritual step that you're ready to take. For others of you who are navigating this season and you know that God wants you to not just place your plans in his hands, but he wants you to maximize your time to make it count for his name. I want to encourage you, bring your best to God this week and watch him work in amazing ways in and through your life so that more and more people can experience how amazing he is. And here's the, here, here's, here's the difference maker. Not only that people can see how great God is, but as you pour out your life for the sake of others, you will be so fulfilled and satisfied because you're exemplifying the life of Christ in every decision that he is guiding you. So let me pray for you now as we move out to live the lives God is calling us to live. Father, we thank you that you have instructed us from your word. God, when life seems to be spinning out of control and it's, everything seems to be on pause, we know that you are still working, that you are still in control, that you have good plans for your children, that you are working in ways that we can't even see, that you want to do things through us that we would never even have thought of. And so, God, I pray that this week we would wake up each day and ask you to show us 
what you want us to do and show us who you want us to love so that not only we can receive the fulfillment that comes from walking in the footsteps of Jesus, but so that other people's lives can be changed as well as we live our lives for you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.